0: Hello and welcome to the next episode of ADHD Mums. I have been so excited for this episode on meltdowns. I'm bringing in Tanya back. Now, if you haven't listened to Tanya's first episode on the education system and our sons go back, it is a cracker. This was the episode we were supposed to be doing before we got off track completely. I've pulled us back into line today. We are going to be going back onto meltdowns. So Tanya was a, a lawyer for 22 years Before she resigned from that profession in 2017 to take up the role of advocate and full time care coordinator for her third son who struggles with ADHD and autism. She has since completed a Bachelor of Behavioral Science in Psychology and her Honours in Psychology. Tanya is currently working as a research assistant for a project looking at internet gaming disorder among adolescents. Tanya has just applied for a scholarship to begin her doctorate in the use of co regulation to prevent and minimise meltdowns in the classroom. Tanya is passionate about inclusive education and improving outcomes for children with ADHD and autism. So Tanya has come back again. She's very busy. I'm very excited. I'm so excited that I told my husband how excited I was this morning. Similar to when I interviewed Jacinta Thompson, where I arrive an hour early, completely ready. Internet, coffee, done, water, ready completely wrong time (laughs) get completely confused and then what I do is I realise I have the wrong time I take a breath and I think I will do those jobs I've been procrastinating and I start doing them get off track completely then run late and then my internet drops exactly the same thing (laughs) as last time so we're we're a little bit frustrated. Well, I'm a little bit frustrated with myself mainly, but I am so excited, Tanya. This meltdown episode is something I've been looking forward to for a while. Big question from me, Tanya: What is the? And this is probably a bit of a pet hate from everybody who's experienced a meltdown. What is the difference between a meltdown and a tantrum? Because people use them interchangeably. They're completely different. They're completely different anyone who's experienced a meltdown
1: will know that it's completely different to a tantrum. A tantrum sort of suggests that a child is not getting what they want, so they throw themselves on the ground and kick and scream for a bit until they get what they want. A meltdown is where a child's developing prefrontal cortex, the higher order thinking part of the brain, goes offline, and they are operating from their hindbrain, which is the very primitive brain, fight Flight or freeze. You cannot reason with a child in meltdown. They cannot help what they're doing in their meltdown. They are reacting and they are only emotion. There's no thought, there's no reasoning, there's no. Our job as the adults is to try and help them bring their prefrontal cortex back online, to try and help them get their thinking, higher order part of their brain back online so they can start responding instead of reacting and they can start to calm down but there is no point arguing with a child who is having a meltdown they just simply they're out of control and once they've tipped into that out of control place you are along for the ride and you just need to try and keep them safe and help them come back into reality again where they're able to think again.
0: Yeah and it's it's such a difficult one I'm right in the centre of that at the moment and I've experienced tantrums. Meltdowns are not are not tantrums. So it does upset me a little bit because people who haven't experienced a full meltdown do not understand what it's like. I think, you know, and I mean, I think you made a great point. It is all about the child and how horrible it is to be inside them, for sure. And it's difficult not to become selfish where you do feel embarrassed, humiliated, upset. I should be doing better. What could I have done differently? Like the emotional oh, toll and- and angry, right?
1: Like it's very angry. easy
0: to be angry and be like, "Are you
1: ridiculous? Like how are you serious? Like you are having a meltdown because what I closed the door too loudly, or I you can't have something that you wanted, or it something didn't go the way you thought, and it seems so unreasonable. And it's it is unreasonable. Let me just let you know, it's absolutely unreasonable because they're not coming from a place of reason. They're so overwhelmed that they cannot think and so all they're doing is they're screaming and it's and it's like you're not you're not hearing me you're not hearing me you're not hearing me you're not hearing me, not hearing me. that's all there that they're just so it's terrifying for a child to be in meltdown they need to see that you are in control because they are so out of control and it is it is absolutely terrifying so it's just so important that we come from this with an understanding about what's actually going on inside their brain because if we if it does give you a different you can reframe that and it can give you a different perspective on it and it becomes less personal because it's not personal and I, you know I still get cranky sometimes you just honestly you do it in an inner eye roll and just think oh my god really is this where we're going today but less and less over time and much better as soon as I see my son starting to tip into that place I bring my whole whatever we've been talking about and fighting about or arguing about or whatever's been going wrong my whole body changes I take a breath I soften my whole body because he's going to a place that is really hard to recover from so I need to help him ease back into his thinking place again. Yeah, meltdowns are traumatic and they can go on and on and on. I mean, literally, literally hours, like hours and hours and hours of screaming. And, you know, I think I used to, in the early days, you sort of respond to their frustration with frustration. And it's like, you take the stakes up and then they take the stakes up and then you take the stakes up. You know, well that's 10 minutes in the the corner. Now that's 20 minutes in the corner. Now that's half an hour. And like, I'm telling you, there you cannot match them because they just don't have any boundaries they're so they're just developing brains they really don't have those boundaries you're the adult and you have to you're not going to win that argument so don't even try it's not that's not going to get you where you want to go
0: yeah and the i think the real message i was thinking about this last night of this podcast is awareness i think awareness in 80, 80 mums is pretty much the key nearly every episode nearly every theme is the awareness or or, you know calendars or any age it's about awareness the part that I think a lot of parents will struggle with is you have one parent who's saying okay this is a meltdown we need to calm it down what can we do and then we've got another parent going well you're giving him what he wants yeah he doesn't want that you think a
1: child wants that if you like I mean really when you look at it no child wants that situation and I can tell you that we have never come from like a place of. In the end, they don't get what they want. Like even if you gave them what they want, they don't get what they want. They're they're beside themselves and in in this terrible headspace, you know. And and it's actually a trigger for my son now to say, oh, "Just look, fine, you just have it." And then he gets upset because he's like, you know, because it's not actually, yeah, it, it's not what they, it's not giving them what they want. They whether you gave them the thing they're after or not, that's not. That's not the point of it. They're really just out of control. And I hear that where people say you're giving in. You're not giving in. You're understanding that they're doing their best. So in that moment, their best might look pretty ugly, but that's their best. And so we've just got to respond to that. And I am now, because I know how much, because that communication to you from the child when they're having that meltdown, that communication is, I'm not coping. So I'm not doing well. Now what you do with that as the adult is the game changer because you can either say I don't care if you're not doing well this is what we're doing and that's going to go very dark very quickly. So or you can be the adult who says okay I, I see you're doing your best and this isn't working. What can I change about this situation so that we can get a different outcome? So it's what the capacity they have to cope in that moment is their capacity that's the end of it you can't punish it out of them you cannot you have to understand that that's their capacity now what are we going to do with that as the adult are we going to scaffold it are we going to lower our expectations so that they can meet our expectations with the capacity they have or are we going to do a bit of both where we might scaffold them a bit and lower our expectations a bit yeah meltdowns are debilitating for the child and they put an enormous amount of pressure on the adult relationships and the other children and the family dynamic. And I guess what I would like is for to spread the word about what meltdowns are, what's going on in their brain so that parents with younger kids who are having meltdowns can understand that about their child and make some more educated, informed, clever, thoughtful decision-making about how to respond to that child.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's such a great point. The other thing that I know, I, I definitely think there's always that play between adults where, you know, often even just, you know, typical conversations, you'll say things like, you know, my husband wants me to be more disciplined or I want him to be more disciplining, but, you know, you've got those parenting challenges. The I noticed with my youngest son who's melts down very often at the moment like once a day and it's debilitating because you can't get anything done you've got to be somewhere you've got other kids it's a simple thing and generally like for example this morning it was a piece of coloring was slightly ripped slightly ripped so I think I went to take it he was holding it I was already really aware that he could melt down at any point so I'm like you you know already kind of Jumping around him as if he's a small bomb because I wanted to make sure I could get to work on time. It just went on forever. And then it's like anxiety, then as a mother, because you're like, at any point, this can kick off. Yeah. I, I think well, you we- get better at that. You get, do you? Okay. Yeah, because already
1: you're describing that you're aware he's not doing well. So you can sense that he is starting to, his capacity to cope with stuff is reducing. So you're aware of that and you have to work with that. Now, their capacity is their capacity and it does not matter how many things you've got on in the day. It doesn't matter what time you need to be at work. It doesn't matter what anyone else in the household's doing. That doesn't change their capacity. Their capacity to cope is what it is. We can build that capacity and it will get better in time. It absolutely will. They'll get better at managing transition, change, have more skills to manage what can be inflexible thinking their their capacity to cope with things not going well for them will improve in time but it is what it is on a daily basis so you just have to be aware of that and what what you learn to do is what you are doing you're already like it is a bit like you're walking on eggshells sometimes absolutely particularly when your pressures on you are you know you've got to be out the door at this time you've got to have you you know you've got all these other things going on. So it, it is it's hard. I'm not gonna lie to you. It is hard. But you get better and more deft at doing it. And I think you get better at many like at helping them. So when you know if we have somewhere to go on the weekend and we're going as a family, we take two cars or we have we understand that one of us might take an Uber or a cab back with, we are always prepared to exit stage right with that child. When he has reached his capacity at anything, he will say I need to go home and one of us will go. And we'll have sorted that out before. Now, we didn't learn to do that when he was four years old, but by the, I don't know, 400th meltdown, we had sort of come to this point where we were like, we always had a plan for him that was dependent on his ability to cope do I think sometimes he was like just got a bit bored and want to go home maybe but in the end it was respecting that he was I just have to respect that if he's sort of if he tells me that he needs to go he needs to trust that I'll respond to that and that I'll get him out of there and if I can't in that moment and there's been times when that hasn't been possible then I then we have I try and talk to him about you know I understand you need to go now is it possible like you know try and sort of talking around whatever the problem that has arisen that we hadn't thought of whatever that is we try and talk talking around it's not always successful I'm not saying that we're doing it all fantastically well now but we're certainly heaps better at it now that he's 14 and he's better too in some ways like he's he's certainly better able to articulate what's going on for him and sometimes it fa- sounds like because he is well at art- good at articulating things sometimes it sounds a bit like well he's having a lend of his disability and look you can approach it like that and be suspicious and possibly at times he is like he's a human being too you know possibly he does use it at times but we do try and we certainly have to trust that he's telling us where he's at And give him reason to trust us that we will respond to that and we do try and grow him you know we do try and choose our moments to grow him a bit together and say you know it'd be really good if we could practice our waiting now do you reckon we could practice our waiting and you could just be another five minutes I mean even this morning I had to go to the doctor and I I knew that it was not going to be good for him and I tried all these different things but you get the appointment you get it's a specialist and so I gauged his how he was doing this morning and went I think that you could probably do this do you want to come with me and wait in the car and you know he did all right but but now I know his capacity to cope with stuff for the rest of today is reduced by the effort and energy it took him to cope with that kind of funny start to our day so You know, they're the things that are are going on in my mind all the time. What's happened today that has reduced his capacity? What's filled his cup? What's emptying his cup? And where is he at at the moment? And it sounds like a lot of work. And, you know, what it is, like parenting neurodiverse kids to become healthy adults with good self-esteem is really hard. It is harder than typically, typically developing kids. Absolutely so i don't like i don't want to sugarcoat it because it sort of if you sort of say it's easy it does diminish the effort and it is a lot of effort to um, to really you have to put yourself out there and understand what's going on in this kid's brain and then you have to be prepared to be flexible yourself which might not come naturally and be like you really afford them genuine positive regard and that's not always easy when honestly you look at them and you just think are you serious you're going to have a meltdown over this it's it is hard sometimes to remember that
0: no i i actually think that's really important to acknowledge the adhd or just mums generally who are parenting yeah. diverse kids because it is really difficult and i think when you what i've noticed is when you add more kids into the mix that's where i think things get really out of control We had, I think, one at swimming on Friday night, and you know, they were trying to shut the pool in the end. That's how long it went. It was dark, and my husband was away, which is rare. And I had two other kids who it's cold, like you can imagine. And I'm trying to deal with this four year old bush. And you know, you kind of start not Mary Poppins, I'm hardly Mary Poppins, but you start okay, okay, I can handle this, we're going to be okay. You know, you're an hour in, and security's like, you need to leave the pool. And at some point you start to think, what were all the decisions that I have made coming up to this moment because I have made a mistake somewhere? And you start to really wonder what you could have done differently and I really started to take it on board personally, like what have I done here to create this situation? But you're balancing three kids.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't like it's not the blame. It's not It's not that you've done something wrong because often it, you're not doing anything wrong. All I think all the time is what could I do differently? And that's what I ask of teachers too. It's not, it's not right or wrong or better or worse. It's just what could I do differently? So, and that's you're always thinking about just difference. Like what what could I slightly change about his environment? What could I slightly have done? What different decision could I have made that might have helped him avoid this or and you know what? Sometimes there's honestly, my husband and I sometimes look at each other and go, you know what, we couldn't have done anything. That meltdown was going to happen because they were just so out of sorts and so depleted by whatever's, you know, might've been events in the days leading up to it might've just finally caught up with them and overwhelmed their thinking so that their, their prefrontal cortex goes offline and they're and their full ball of emotion again, like, you know, so sometimes that is actually the case. Particularly we're talking about developing humans. They're not fully formed. So absolutely, sometimes there is nothing you could have done. But what I what I do think all the time is what could we have done differently? What could I change? Not not better or worse. Because they're they're such you know, they're such judgmental kind of words and it's not better or worse. It's just different. We're not doing anything bad. Any, you know, you're not making bad decisions about your kids, but you're making decisions, but what could you, what different decision was available or something?
0: Yeah, and I think the world is changing a little bit too because I noticed it seems to be more now like my daughter is seven and my son is four, so I've been kind of mum-lifing for seven years. And I noticed that the way that people react to a child in meltdown now is different to what it was seven years ago I think it's improved I think there's a lot more support the amount Mm -hmm. of people that stood next to me and said do you want me to go get your other child what can I do do you want me to get a packet of lollies you know because people don't know they think might help and they're just offering do you want me do you want space do you want to move your car do you want me to you know because I can see in your face that you just are at the end yeah you're Yeah. you're at the end and I feel like that sense of community is changing would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I, I think we're talking about it more, you know. In, in our community, the reason we're seeing so many more diagnoses is there's a lot more awareness of it. There's a lot more interest in understanding what the hell's going on here. Absolutely. I, I agree. I think that people are more interested to understand, and that's super important because that's where we start to get change, you know, in, in the bigger ticket items like what's going on at school and elsewhere. I the I I agree I absolutely and I'm pleased to hear and see that myself I think it's just so important and I just I wanted to add actually when I was talking before about how difficult it is parenting kids with neurodiversity compared with neurotypical kids it's even more difficult when you have your own neurodiversity whilst there is a natural empathy like it's like looking in a mirror in some ways you've got your own stuff to deal with and that is the case for lots and lots of for mums with ADHD kids they they have ADHD themselves and that can be really disabling as well but in the parenting space like my best friend is absolutely ADHD and has two ADHD kids and it's been it's a real struggle for her to manage all the appointments the medication the school situation which is diabolically difficult and so many meetings and yeah it's I she we talk about it all the time how overwhelming it is and she has to deal with that but she's the adult right so she's she's just got to and and got to find ways to manage her herself and the needs of her kids it is I just want to take my hat off because it is hard and to not acknowledge that is not fair
0: yeah it is it is difficult and I think as well sometimes I feel like I take it personally in a way like for example if I go to daycare pickup and he's been great all day I hear great stories about how beautiful he is and compliant and does what he's told and this and that I pick him up something simple happens and he will kick off big time it'll be in over an hour to get him in the car and the teacher's not knowing what they're saying like we we never see this behavior Because
1: okay. he's doing his absolute best there and he's used up every bit of energy and effort in his little body to manage himself all day to meet their expectations and you're his safe harbour. So he just is like, right, well, I'm done and I'm I'm hanging up my boots because I've got nothing left. And, I, you know, there's there's ways to respond to that which are really helpful, I think. Like when you see your child in meltdown, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, let's do it. Because when I see or sense my son, and I'm, you know, mothers of ADHD kids, honestly, I'm listening for the cadence of his voice, for the, if I hear the stress in his voice, if I see him and he looks red or his hands are clenched or he's sweating and he hasn't been running around, you know he's not doing well. So as soon as I sense or see that he's not doing well, my palms go up, my arms go out, my body softens. And I look to him, not necessarily maintaining eye gaze, because that can be really effortful. But I say, Maddie, I can see you're not doing well, mate. I want to help you. What can we do? And, you know, he, depending on where he's at, could be anything like I've got an older child, and he might swear back at me or scream, like just wordless screaming. Mm. And I... I don't argue, I never argue with him when he's in that state. I always gently, softly, maybe I'm here to help. I want to help you, mate. It'll be okay. We will work it out. So reassure, soft voice, I'm here to help you. I think it's important that they hear that those helping words. It'll be okay because in their mind they, are, they have catastrophized the situation to the worst possible outcome for them. So you need to help them bring it back into perspective. It'll be okay. We will work it out. We will work it out. It'll be okay. Whatever's happened, it's not forever and we will work it out. We'll work it out, okay? And he might be screaming and and often what you'll see is he might quieten a bit and then his brain will still be like going at a 1,000 kilometres an hour and it'll occur to him again and then he'll go off again. This is why they last for hours in this meltdown headspace because they Come down and then they go, they remember, you know, what the problem was, and then they go up again and down and up again, and it just goes on and on. So, the helping them bring their frontal prefrontal cortex, their higher order thinking back online, soft reassure them I'm here to help you. I don't touch him unless he asks me to. I don't, some kids like pressure, some kids, but I, if I touch Matt in that those circumstances, he'll just go off his he hates it. Let's go for it. Then I start talking about our strategies. Take a breath with me, Matt. And I do that with him a number of times and intermittently until he's calm. Take a breath, mate. I reflect back. I can see how hard you're trying to bring this down again. I see how hard you're trying. Your shoulders have softened. You're doing really well. I talk back to him what I'm seeing. I describe you know, I can see how upset you are, your, your, your hands are clenched so tight, I can see you're really upset, I want to help you, I can see that you're managing better now, your shoulders are so- softened and I'll, if I have an idea about what's gone wrong, I might try to not reduce the catastrophe of it, mate, it's okay, We've we've missed that appointment, it's okay, we'll get another appointment, it's all right, it's not the end of the world. We'll sort this out or whatever the problem was that has seen them kick off. because there's always you can always work something out. And then sometimes, and I also try and get them thinking again. I'm going to ask you a question, Can you tell me what four plus six is? Because as soon as they've got to start using that brain for those simple maths, then that helps them bring that their thinking part of their brain back online again. So if we're in the car, I will, that, I will ask questions like that. As soon as I hear that he's not doing well, I'll start asking maths questions so that he has to think about what I'm asking him. Yeah. You know, the the idea being connect with them. I'm here, mate. I'm here with you. It's okay. Reflect back what you're seeing. Reassure them that it's not a catastrophe. Find a way forward and keep reflecting and reassuring until they calm down. Now, look, now I'm calm or I'm trying to be calm, he may still be screaming abusive comments to me or someone else or, you know, stalking away. I'm just going to walk with you, Matt, to make sure you're safe. I want to keep make sure that you're safe. And he understands that. And most kids understand that, particularly once they've had experience with this sort of thing, when you talk about planning for the, you know, if this happens again, there's always, we need one person with eyes on you. So there's that He does understand those things and being prepared does help. So having a talk when he's in a calm state of mind, then we might talk about, well, what could we have done differently there to get a different outcome, do you think? And having strategies about walking away, which at the age of 14, he still has not mastered. He's still having meltdowns in classrooms, still has not mastered that. But he's getting better and I can see that he is really starting to see the benefit for him in if he can just get himself to walk out of the classroom instead of staying in the classroom to make his point.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. So let's say, for example, you feel it coming. I suppose this is a little bit, I suppose the awareness of feeling it coming a little bit myself too. I took the kids to the circus yesterday, which, oh, my God, it was a nightmare. Yeah, predictably right. Oh, I knew it was going to be. I don't know why I did this to myself. I really don't. But anyway... I think I, Practice. A, or I took my kids to the zoo in school holidays which also resulted in security coming to the canteen so that was great I don't know why I do it to myself but anyway I do so the my daughter was loving it and my son who's 4 wasn't and I ended up putting some headphones on him which I had in my bag and then I, I thought there was probably about 10 minutes left so I put him on my lap and kind of did a countdown on the on the phone so you can kind of see it. It's not that much further to go. And that was a bit of a breakthrough for me yesterday, the fact we could get him home without him kicking off at the circus, which would have been a circus.
1: Yeah. And
0: then this morning I could see he was – I was thinking this is – if I push him much further, even though I'm late, I reckon he is going to blow his fuse. And it's going to be two hours. Like I thought I'm going to miss this appointment with Tony. I don't know what I'm going to do. So I'm starting to panic. So I ended up getting my husband to take the other two and I just sat down and started paying bills on my computer because like, I've got to start doing something. You just let me know when you're ready and he eventually came back out 15 minutes later with his clothes on and he seemed somewhat ready to go and I was like well that was quicker than, than coming at him but then you know my husband's kind of on the phone like well he needs to be ready when you have told him to be ready but I, I, I'm like I've done that it doesn't
1: work. It doesn't work and there's a couple of things in that. I think that what you've done there is make it a reasonable adjustment for him, because not only did he get ready, but he also got ready without being completely depleted by a meltdown, and without the humiliation and shame that comes with a meltdown. And he got ready. So there's a like that's actually a win for both of you, and and should be said as much. You know, like tonight when when you or the start, whenever you see him next, make a point. I just want to say what a great job you did this morning getting ready. I really appreciate that. Good job, buddy. Because that is specific praise for something that you needed him to do and you need him to do tomorrow and the next day and the next day. That's awesome. And there is a little bit of, he's got this capacity that doesn't change whatever your expectations are. So I think it's in, you know, you can expect them to do it in your time until the cows come home but if they don't have capacity to do that they don't the other thing I'd say is with some things it might just be having someone go with them like with my son brushing his teeth I could ask like lots of kids I could ask him to brush his teeth 1000 times and he will not brush his teeth like he just I don't know he just cannot get up and go and brush his teeth but if I say hey mate let's go brush your teeth and I take his hand and we walk to the bathroom together, he'll brush his teeth, no problem. So for a number of years, that's what I had to do well past like being a two year old, like for several years after that. But it just meant that he brushed his teeth. It was one minute of my time. And I didn't have the frustration of asking him a 1000 times to do it. But it was just he that transition can be really hard. And the stopping this task and doing a dispreferred activity can also be really hard but if you come and hold my hand it's so much easier and Mm -hmm. we just chatted so things like that I think trying to sort of see well what's the problem here what what is the hurdle that he can't get over to do what you've asked him to do and it might be that in the mornings it's it's cold and he doesn't want to get out of his pajamas and into his clothes you know so get him a rug that he can stand on whatever like you know what I mean like just sort yeah. of trying to understand what's the barrier and then helping him either address the barrier or help him get over the barrier with brushing my teeth he's my son's teeth the barrier was the transition he just found it really hard to stop doing a preferred activity to go and do a dispreferred activity yeah
0: I think that's what it is yeah
1: yeah so he needed he needed me to help him do that which I did and I'm still happy when he goes and brushes his teeth
0: and ask him <laughs> you know something I'm I'm struggling with and I've been struggling with for ages is I call it a replay I don't know if there's a particular word but my boys have both done it the older one six-year-old is I don't want to say growing out of it but he's, he's definitely improved a lot he doesn't do it as much but my four-year-old will do this thing where if you touch him or help him in any way so it doesn't make sense because you can you can he can ask you for help every single day and then the one day he doesn't ask you, but you assume he needed, he wanted help. You know, like let's say undoing a bike helmet. Yep. Let's say you've had a bike ride and he every day he will say to you, Can you unclip my bike helmet? I anticipate that and I touch it without asking or whatever it is. Very and you know, it's almost unconscious because you do yeah. it and and you don't think I'm gonna undo his bike helmet and upset him. You just and used to that's the routine of so and you, you're juggling so many things. You just go ahead and do it, right? And my husband does it without knowing, without thinking a lot. And it will spark him off, and it will spark him off to such a point that he will have to ride his bike back to the park, get back on his bike, ride all the way back, and then do his helmet himself. And yeah, he, that sounds I'm, that sounds sorry. autistic, to be honest.
1: <laughs> but and may because my son's autism wasn't diagnosed until after his ADHD because once we sort of had the ADHD under somewhat control then the autistic and certainly autism now is his biggest challenge that inflexible Mm. thinking that that difficulty with transitions and that sort of thing where it's like uh, we didn't do this the way I wanted it to be done and so I'm going to go and do the whole thing again yeah that's that is something that's very typical of a child with autism but and and look, all you can do in those those circumstances is model for him what you want him to do. Oh mate, I'm I'm sorry, I was I thought I was gonna give you a hand there, but I should have asked first, you're right. Like I shouldn't touch you, I should ask you first and try and downplay it like that. So mm-hmm. the because you're you're only yourself responding in the moment and it's trying to be respectful, but you know, I was trying to help, but I can see now that you, you didn't need my help and I'm I should have let you do it. Mm. There's yeah, there's no like I, we want our kids to do that when it's them who's overstepped or made or, you know, done something that, you know, the other person didn't want them to do. That's how we want them to respond. So that's how I would respond to that. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does. Do you think there's any good in attempting not to do the full replay? Is there any good in. Oh, no. The, what, to what end? To what end?
1: If it's going to help them put this to bed, Absolutely. Let him do it. There's no harm, unless it means that you've got to yourself ride for another half hour and you don't have time to do that. Like, unless there was going to be a bigger problem caused by that, absolutely. And and even if it could be, or do you think we might be able to fix this by riding to the corner and back again? Yeah, there's no, I think he's got in his head, that's what he needs to do in order for this to work properly in his mind. And at this time I there's just no point trying to it's not that sort of thing's not going to cause you a drama. He's just going to go and do a bit of extra writing. It becomes more problematic when it it's they they're more difficult things to replicate because but you cross that bridge when you get to it right the are you, are you thinking that there's a concern that there might be OCD symptoms or anything like that or is it just...
0: I think there's some ASD traits in there. I just don't know to what extent. I mean, you know, you talked earlier about how everyone has ADHD traits, you know, and it's to what effect in your life. So, I suppose there's, you know, there's questions around around that. But then there's questions around, well, you know, how significant is it going to be? An in early intervention, you know, I, you know, or has he? his older brother do that? Hard to know. Yeah. And
1: look, I don't I don't mean everyone has ADHD traits. I mean because I get really cross when people say oh, we're all a bit autistic or we're all a bit ADHD. That's not right because it diminishes the difficulty that people with ADHD and autism have in coping with life. I just mean that everyone can be forgetful, everyone can be mm-hmm. impulsive, everyone can be, you know, like any of those features, we all at times can be like that. But yeah, we're definitely, like, and, and I think that my, that thing, that qualities about ADHD, I would certainly fit the profile towards that outer end but not enough for a diagnosis. Yeah, I'll I'm, I'm probably, because I really do get cross when people are like, oh, we're all a bit autistic. No, we're fucking not. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah it's, it's actually
1: hard being autistic and it's hard being ADHD. So let's not take that away from people who have those diagnoses because life is harder. When you've got those diagnoses,
0: yeah, and I think you know, I'm still, I probably need to maybe work on my acceptance a little bit. But I do have trouble accepting that when I have friends who will say to me, "Oh, yeah, my you know my four year old's really hard at the moment too," and I'm thinking, mm, not "If it's exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to be there for them that they're frustrated too. You know, that's sure.
1: Their- that's their reality and yeah and everyone because and I have people say to me I don't know how you do it I think well what do you want me to do like he's my son it like I'm doing the best I can with what I've got and I'm not any more special than anyone else I'm not any more you know I and I hate God gave you what you can cope with and I think that's absolute bullshit the yeah and but to your point everyone's dealing with their own stuff and you know I've got a beautiful friend who doesn't have children and she's busy and I think you know and when you've got three kids two of whom have diagnoses and like yeah I don't know it's really hard to kind of not go you think you're busy (laughs) oh my god
0: I thought I was I just worked full-time without having any children and I that that was me yeah Absolutely.
1: Right. Because that's your reality. That's, you know, you do feel busy. You feel like you've got a lot going on and, and then, yeah, it's only, but as life throws more at you, you've got to just deal with it. And yeah. And everyone, so everyone can only see things from their own experiences. And I guess what you are asking people to do, and I am hundred percent holding you up saying, please listen, you want people to try and see the perspective of kids and and adults, but particularly kids with ADHD and autism because it is harder. And so, you know, we do want that discussion. We want to try and share perspectives so that, you know, we get more acceptance and understanding for kids with ADHD.
0: Okay, so I suppose, correct me if I'm wrong, one of the messages I'm getting from this kind of interview would be that you want to kind of compromise with your child as they're starting to escalate. Yep. And prevent it where you can. So set things up like, for example, you know, maybe you wouldn't do back-to-back activities and then expect 100%. them to be somewhere at a short period of time. That's recipe for disaster. Be aware of what they can cope with. And then also I think I probably need to have a chat with my husband and say to him, you know, it's not always going to be like this. We are building capacity here. That's so right. At the moment he's not doing pretty much anything I ask him. But, you know, it, yeah, the 15 minutes late and, you know, I, I suppose I'm fortunate I have flexibility in my work. So I've gotten to a point now where I'm like, okay, I just can't do 9, nine o'clock appointments. I can't do, really do 9.30 either. just don't really know how to go. I know if I book something in the morning and I know that I'm feeling pressured, then there's no hope that he's going to comply with anything I ask him to do. So, you know, we are building capacity still at this point. So, you know, it's not like, okay, well, this is the way he's always going to be. But pushing harder is not working.
1: Absolutely not, and I think that's exactly right. You've made adjustments there. You've you you're not going to commit to things early in the morning because you don't know if he's going to be able to allow you to meet those things. And you said you've got you're lucky with flexibility with employment. Absolutely, there's some mums out there and dads out there who who need their nine to five job in order to meet the expenses of running their household, and they don't have flexibility. And they are people that we as a society should be supporting better because it is so hard and that kind of inflexibility in the parent's life does not bode well for that child because that child's needs are what their needs are and if in that household they're not going to get met because the parents are stuck in positions where they can't give their kid that time to get out of the house without having a meltdown. And having a meltdown every day does not build a happy, confident child. It, it is really hard on them.
0: Yeah, I agree. I don't want to get you off, off topic so I'm going to try not to do that. But I did send the Premier, Anastasia Palaget, an email, which she hasn't responded to, in regards to the free kindy that she you know announced. I had a real problem with it because I don't feel like it is really free kindy. It's got so many like stipulations on it about... Income and what kind of kindy and the long daycares—it's actually only fifteen hours subsidy or something, which is hardly anything like compared to free kindy. And what it means is that's a conversation I had with you about how a lot of those neurodiverse kids were coming into prep with my son, and he's neurodiverse too, so it's not a not a negative. But I've noticed that a lot of the kids that I think are quite explosive are the ones that are four, and pro- maybe they should have had another year of kindy, maybe but then when you talk to the parents they talk about how kindies you know might be 20 grand a year right for example ridiculous school's free or you know a little bit more for a private school possibly it's still cheaper than yeah. the so they oh, go schools, and, yeah it,
1: school is chalk is the most expensive time of so not only is it the hardest time with kids who are neurodiverse or otherwise but also it's the most expensive time You've got appointments. You've got childcare. You've got you know it's it is super expensive. I more needs to be done to support kids being home and have and a parent being home with them or a carer being home with them. The we can you can make school free because you know unfortunately there's all sorts of problems with making getting kids into a structured environment from three or four years of age, they're so immature. And to try and force, because then education gets pushed down and pushed down, and before you know it, we're trying to teach three-year-olds how to write. But the there's lots of kids who are just not, their brain is not ready for that kind of structured environment, and it's not flexible enough to respond to their needs. This is the problem with school. It's not flexible enough to respond to the needs of these kids. So we're just pushing that problem even further down. Uh, that they, they would have to change some big things to make that a good place for kids to be for, you know, six, seven, eight hours a
0: day. I agree. And then you've got, you know, all the other kids that are put in there as well and then you just get a heap of unhappy parents and a lot of pressure on the teachers. Which Absolutely. Yeah. Sorry. But I just feel like these a lot of these kids, in my opinion, an extra year of kindy would have been really beneficial. But I look at the parents and I think I can see why oh, yeah. you've made it's It's massively expensive yeah not it's not about the parents not doing the right thing to the child they're doing the best for their family probably absolutely set up so I think with meltdowns setting them up really well is, is probably key preparation is everything but that means that you've got to be aware of
1: what's going on in your child's brain you've got to be connected with your child so that you can sense or see that their capacity to cope is diminishing And you've got to have flexibility in your response and time to support them to navigate their day. And often social interactions can be so depleting for these kids that having them in any social interaction in a kindy playground, a school playground or wherever, that can be enough to deplete their capacity to cope. So you need to be aware, you need to have plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D flexibility so you can respond and always be prepared to respond with that that kind curiosity about what's going on for them, reassuring them, reflecting feelings back to them so they learn to connect what's going on with their body with how they're feeling. You can see how upset you are, you're sweating, your face is red, your hands are clenched. The more they hear those things, the more that they can connect because what you're trying to teach them is when they feel or see these things happening to their body, I know I've got to use some of the strategies. I can tell you verbatim when I'm in a good state of mind, but when I'm going into that meltdown state of mind, all those strategies just go out the window. I can't remember any of them. So it's really important to have that consistent response to kids who are having meltdowns or are prone to meltdowns. And I think always remembering that meltdowns are communication. The child is not coping. It's not personal to you they're not trying to make your life a misery they are not coping and they do not want to be in that position kids don't wake up in the morning and you know look for ways to have a meltdown it's it's devastating for them it's humiliating and if it happens in the school classroom or in a public place it's shameful it's humiliating it's bad enough when it happens in front of your family and you can see the child knows that they've upset everybody in the family Absolutely, they have. They know that it's an awful thing to feel responsible for that much misery all the time. So we,
0: yeah, yeah. it. And I also feel for the siblings too, because you know you're just done, right? You're just so fucking done. And then one of your other kids will ask you just like one reasonable request, really, and you know you just can't, you know you just can't cope. And that's one of the things I, you know, you do struggle with, where you kind of lay awake and you think, geez, you know, they stood
1: you know, in the dark
0: waiting at the pool for half an hour or whatever and then they've asked me to, can we stop and get something? And, you know, I'm like, oh, we're not fucking stopping. like, yeah, you know? that's right. Can God, no. Are you somewhere? crazy? Not going anywhere? You know, like we're hungry. We want to stop and get some McDonald's. It's like, mate, like I'm like, if I don't get home in the next five minutes, I'm going to rub myself, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, Look,
1: understand? and and that's a very good point, Jane. I think I am very conscious of always taking opportunities to tell my other two kids, just quietly, not in front of my third son, to make I don't want to make him feel bad, but I do take every opportunity to tell them to acknowledge that it is hard being a sibling to our younger son, to remind them that he is actually doing his very best and so are we and I'm grateful that they're doing their best as well. I always point out how important it is that our third son feels their love and connection and that it's okay to want to have time away from him and time where you don't, you're not the brother of that person, that you can just be your own person. And we try and make opportunities with each of them individually where it's away from the chaos that surrounds our younger son. And they're they're 15 and 16 now, and I'm really confident that they know that we respect and appreciate how hard it's been for them at times like I mean just couldn't be harder as a sibling there's been some terrible things but and we're very grateful and and they know that we do what we can to enrich their lives in different ways that to kind of try and balance out how much time energy and resources are put into our third son just to try and make them feel seen and understood as well it is hard for siblings but gee they're nice people for the and I think that is because they've they've seen how hard it is for our third kid. They, I think, like all of us, there would be some resentment there at times, but they understand it's just how he is and it's hard and none of us would be in his
0: brain for any any amount of
1: money. It's really hard for him. Yeah, and I
0: think you said that in the last episode and I thought it was so interesting. i thought about it a lot, where you're talking about how If we can spread this message on the podcast, then more people will have an understanding, and about how the siblings of of kids or parents, you know, of kids that do have additional needs, and how inclusive and aware they are, and how they are and compassionate, and it's often the people that just don't have any understanding or experience, you know, that are probably. I wouldn't say the, the problem, that's not the right word, but they're just not aware. That, that
1: Intolerant, other... yeah, there's a lot, and, the, and judgmental, yeah. Look, absolutely, and I've absolutely seen that in school communities where they're just, they've never seen a meltdown, and when they do see it, they're just horrified and, look, understandable, but, you know, honestly, you are still talking about a child who is not fully developed, whose brain is in some ways quite delayed and in other ways it's quite intelligent so he's still you know developing as a person and kids make mistakes and kids you know do things that adults don't do and yeah the the level of intolerance that i've seen is it's just heartbreaking because it's devastating for him it's devastating for us and yeah so the more we can talk about it and kind of normalize Look, this is this is just they're doing their best and we've kind of created as a society this disability because in times gone past if he was defending a village from marauders in you know middle ages he'd have been a hero because <laughs> he'd be out for all of that he'd be mm. you know have his sword and his shield and he'd be out, out there fighting the good fight but that's not what we value in our society so he's born in this age where we value people sitting up and you know, whole body listening and all that sort of thing. He's just not capable of that.
0: One big question before we we head off, Tanya, one big question I've got for you, and this is a, I wasn't planning on asking this one, but my husband always asks me, he always says to me, okay, so... You know, in the seventies, back when you know you were just like hit over the, the the knuckles, or you were you know, belted or whatever it is, if you did the wrong thing. Do you think there was as many meltdowns then, or do you think they were just corporal punished out of people? Like, what what is the difference now? I just don't understand it.
1: A few things, things, a few things are different. There's more people to start with. There's more kids in classrooms. The expectation on kids in classrooms is so much higher. When we went through, teachers had proper lunch breaks where they would go and play cards in the lunchroom. Like not many teachers get to do that these days because there's so much expected of outcomes in school environments. Things have really changed materially since, certainly since I was a kid back in the 70s and 80s. Like things are are different. We there's much less play-based stuff, there's much more academic expectation on kids and sporting excellence and drama and music and there's like a million things that you're expected to do and parents are expected to foster in their kids. So those, all of those additional expectations put a lot of pressure on not just neurodiverse kids but all kids and then if you've got neurodiversity, your ability to cope with all of those pressures from a very young age is diminished. And I think whereas, and like homework wasn't such a thing, like there's all these things that impact kids in all these multitude of ways. I think that we see more meltdowns because of the increased expectation on kids and families and the reduced resources available to them. When I grew up, my parents both worked, but my mother's work was flexible and there were lots of kids who had one parent at home well, that's not the case anymore. So you're expected to kind of go, you know, you might get dropped off at before school care at seven and picked up at five or, you know, something like quite a long day. Whereas back in the day, you might wander to school at, you know, 8.30 and walk home again at three o'clock or, you know, it, it was just a different time. So the expe- I think it's the expectation we have of kids and also, in the same way that introducing more voices to a conversation you're going to get you're going to get some different not different points of view and therefore probably a bit more conflict we're now in a where there's so many different points of view that are now being heard women's you know all sorts of multicultural views and and people are much more interested in talking about what's going like what's going on for kids and for themselves culturally with their brains. There's a lot more interest in it. There's a lot more discussion about it. And I think we're just sort of working through all of that. So the awareness is great. I think we're going to see things improve for our kids in schools. I think we'll see the way schools are done change. I hope we do. And that will be because we're seeing more awareness of issues like ADHD, autism, the importance of inclusion, cultural difference, respecting people's different cultures. And so all of that means that we can't just teach school in the same rigid way it was taught back in the day. Now it's it's got to be more flexible. And so we're seeing those, yeah, I think it's just this sort of hot bit of change at the moment. Uh, and I don't know, certainly the expectation feeds into the increase in meltdowns, but also a, t- a changing of the guard in terms of teaching as well. I think the what teachers what teachers need to do is changing. It's not just the case that you go into a classroom and you're the dictator in that classroom, or the, you know, you are accountable to parents in ways that you never have been in the past. There's a lot more expectation of on you from the government. There's yeah, it's just changing. I think there's a lot of change at the moment and. Teachers don't feel equipped in the classroom, I think, to deal with meltdowns, and I'm hoping that I can contribute to that, but there's lots of all these different things kind of playing into um, more meltdowns, but hopefully we will address the reasons that we're seeing more meltdowns by changing the environment and all do better for for having done that.
0: Wow, I'm so glad I asked that question. I'll have to chat to my husband later because he's always saying to me, well, why can't we just go hard? Because that's what people used to do and we didn't see it then, did we? So
1: Yeah, it's a different, there's lots of things that were different back in the 70s and 80s, lots of things. Yeah. And also that wasn't better (laughs) because kids with, yeah, kids with ADHD did not do well back then either. And, you know, they were the kid that was flogged and they were the kid that was you know kicked out of school I mean that's what's happening now too they're getting kicked out of school all the time but yeah they, they certainly I don't think that was better for kids with ADHD we've got to keep on this path where we're trying to understand better and do better
0: oh absolutely my dad always talked about the story about how he was in they had the, all the classes graded and streamed and he was in he wasn't in the dumbest class he was in the second dumbest class sometimes and, you know, he came out and I mean, he couldn't really read and write very well, to be honest. So yeah. they gave up and he yeah. was a trader. He did very well, but he said to me, you know, he always wanted to be real estate agent or he had other dreams, but he couldn't read and write very well at all Yeah, where he just, you know, didn't have those opportunities. So I suppose you could say, yeah, he went through. Was he melting down? Who knows what was going on with him? But he was, yeah, ignored and probably belted a lot
1: yeah and meltdowns can look different for different people too like we're all aware of the child who has a an externalizing meltdown where they're like you know literally screaming wordless screaming for hours and hours and hours it can also look like hysterical sobbing to the point my Godchild is one of these and she has ADHD and it sounds so... Um, false you know it just sounds like she's putting it on she's not putting it on she's like sobbing hysterically for hours and honestly her mum and I sometimes just like oh just stop but in the same way I would say about my son screaming oh just stop screaming mate I don't know how many times I've said that yeah so it can look like hysterical crying it can also look like complete withdrawal where um, they just disappear into themselves and that sort of internalising behaviour, whilst it's easier on those around them, it's 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 just as hard for them. They're, they're not coping and they're that internalising and not, then it can sort of manifest in a whole heap of other unhealthy ways. So all of those things are kids not coping, not doing well, and they all need us to respond to them with that kindness that curiosity the connection the empathy and help them make sense of what's going on and work out how you can problem solve the situation to get a different outcome next time
0: yeah beautiful well look Tanya it's been just oh my god so interesting I was so excited (laughs) even more interesting than what I was expecting so Thank you so much for your time. Do you have anything that you'd like to add or that I haven't
1: um, asked you? The only thing I want to add at the be- at the end is to have hope because, you know, my son's now 14 and lots of people talk about 12 to 14 as being an age where a lot of the more difficult ADHD symptoms can, they. lots of people talk about a real improvement around that age and then they kind of just kick in. Now, I think that that is absolutely something to look forward to and I've seen things change for our child and, and even like he's he's 14 and life's been super super tricky and hard for him but I have real hope because I can see everything that we're doing we are building his self-esteem again we are building his confidence and we're building his capacity and I see that growth in him so it's it's absolutely ahead of you if you've got little kids have, have hope stay kind
0: oh beautiful look thank you so much tanya for your time it's been great jane thank you thank you bye